You are listening to Indigo Arts Alliance presents Voices and Visions, the podcast, produced by Flo Edwards on WMPG 90.9 FM. How we journeyed and the things we secreted and, and screened as a result of that journey. Hello, and welcome to Voices and Vision with Indigo Arts Alliance where we'll highlight some of the wonderful conversations between some of the artists that have spent time in residency with us. You just heard a clip from today's interview where you'll hear our artists talk more about their work, mentorships, and experience in our residency program. Today on Voices and Visions, we have Arissa White and Signature Mimi, part one, who were artists in our mentorship residency program in July and August of 2022. Signature Mimi is a poet, spoken word artist, language enthusiast, and creative expressionista working in Maine. Being born in the Philippines and raised in the U.S., Mimi writes and draws upon her experiences being a multi-ethnic child of the AAPI diaspora. She uses words, sounds, visuals, spaces, earth, and technology to share stories of survival, decolonization, alignment, and balance. Arissa White is an assistant professor of English and creative writing at Colby College. As the creator of the Beautiful Things Project, Arissa curates poetic collaborations that are rooted in Black queer women's ways of knowing. Currently, and within her residency, Arissa is working on an Afro-speculative opera set between the material and spiritual worlds, where three females' lives intersect because of a murder-suicide. Her poetry is widely published, and her collections have been nominated for a AACP Image Award and a Lambda Literary Award. She has won the Per Diem Poetry Prize, Maine Literary Award, Nautilus Book Award, and an Independent Publisher Book Award. Here is Arissa White and Signature Mimi. Part one, we hope you enjoy. My name is Arissa White and I'm a poet and I guess I'm also a librettist. My practice is uh, one of stillness, finding that voice deep within myself and learning to listen deeply. I also am guided by my questions. I believe my questions lead me on a quest and they help me to reframe my doubts. They lead to more questions. They help me to reshape language and to kind of break my eye, my narrative eye, my optical eye, so that I can see the possibility and energy in a word and put it to some creative use that even I didn't know that it was capable of. Most immediately what comes to mind in thinking about how my work takes physical form is books, you know, um, and as, as a writer, as a poet, that's always been the goal to think about, like, how do I put a collection together? Um, are these poems a manuscript? And then to think about it getting published so that other people can touch it and, and read it. And 
it's my book baby out in the world. So it does mm-hmm. feel like this, this birthing process, something that comes from me. More kind of recently and sort of doing collaborative work with uh, musicians and vocalists, I've seen my work set at the planetarium. I've collaborated with dancers, so things have been put on stage. I'm working on a libretto right now, so even though I'm focusing on the libretto as a literary form, as a poetic literary form, I'm also very much aware that it's, it is the document that translates, it is the document that the composer will use to score the songs in the opera. So in that way, yeah, like poems have become characters, have become inspiration, has become letters in other people's hands, and become performances um, in, in theaters. For me, names are also in, important. And that, and, and in terms of thinking about the, the landscape, the environment, even the architecture, it comes back to my family, to the rooms that, you know, me and my siblings were in because we couldn't quite go outside. My mom wanted to make sure we were safe, single mom. I'm one of seven kids, and so we would just spend so much time, you know, in the apartments creating. My older brother uh, went to LaGuardia High School, which is like fame. Um, and so he studied visual arts, and so he would he would bring this sort of like artsy, kind of like the artsy culture home, and with his paint and his easels, and so he would have us like sit for portraits that he was working on and I was always like bothered that I never looked you know how I thought I looked in um in his paintings but what I enjoyed was the ways in which our own eyes sort of shape us and how we sort of see things differently and so just creating with my siblings that just brought out so many different possibilities to be a writer Mm -hmm. to be a rapper to be a producer, to be a screenwriter, a choreographer. We were doing all of these things, just making so many different things together. And, and you know, and what it all comes down to is just like telling stories, mm-hmm. family gatherings, playing spades, all of the shit talking, um, the slamming of the cards, the food, the ability to, to brag but at the same time still be grounded. And so I love that. But, so whenever I'm writing, I feel like I am. I'm, I'm just an accumulation of all of those narratives, all of the humor, all of the shit talking, all of the lessons, the parables, prayers. And so I start, I start with home. I start with origins. I start with whatever I was taught directly or indirectly about how to be a black person in the world, how to be a tall black woman in the Mm -hmm. world, how to be a sister, an auntie, a daughter. And those kinds of relationships become the relationships that I step out into the world with, like Mm -hmm. how to be with. And I think for me i always come back to sister like sister Mm -hmm. feels like my like designated familial 
sort of connection to everything like how am I sister to the tree how am I sister to my my neighbors and so kind of being able to set up that relationship like you know that started at home and then moves out moved outside I, I even think about writing as just this way to connect mm-hmm. and so when I started to um do collaborations more actively. I was, I was an undergrad at um, Sarah Lawrence, and I was interning at um, Urban Bushwomen in in New York uh, City in Brooklyn. How could I forget? Like Brooklyn, New York, like the city is also the landscape. It is is the biggest room in the house of my mm. heart, and that kind of activity. So when I started working at dance companies and then it was acknowledged that I was a poet, then I started to collaborate with them and I just felt like, oh, I'm a sister of these dancers. And then mm. photographers, it's the same thing. It's like a kinship that expands how I approach and make my work and it extends beyond me in a set of relationships that, who knows, becomes cousins in the end. But ultimately, it, it is, it's family. Even when, like the project I'm working on now, the, the opera, postpartum, I hear my family's voices in the characters. Um, my own sort of narrative of, you know, loving women and how that can also be a part of how I tell a story romantically and politically and so it's just been kind of nice to to grow in that way and to have my work grow in this sisterly kind of way so true i mean as you were speaking i you know i was thinking about my sister my sister kayana has developmental disabilities and a speech pathology and while you know working on this libretto and it's it's out of my sort of realm of comfort but i'm loving how i'm i'm just using the musicality of the language the the poetry as as its own kind of language Mm -hmm. and i think about my sister kayana because she will mash up words and put in different kinds of accents and these sort of like, like vocal, like vocables are coming out, these sounds that sound like words. And she is confident, confidently behind her language, you know, like even though it takes a while to sort of understand her, she's like standing really firm in her language, in, in the force and power of her communication. And she knows that her sounds will be understood. And so in approaching the libretto, I took language in that same kind of way. Like yeah. it's it's a like set of sounds that I can mash up and pull apart and do my own kind of creole or patois mm-hmm. and and it does help that, you know, my stepfather and my biological father are from Guyana, so I do have the English Creole just like hanging out there a little bit. But I also have, I also have Kayana's mashup language, her like guttural bird song kind of way of communicating and that 
sort of is this like source of like sort of strength for me. I can I can step into this this space and I can use language however I want. Imagine whatever from like my family stories, how we journeyed and the things we secreted and and screamed as a result of that journey and made beautiful with our slang and our um, just listening to the world around us so that our words blended in with the streets. Um, so we sound like we were of a place and that place was of us. In terms of like what I'm working on uh, with the residency, the libretto is um, is a is about a, a woman who um, has killed her two-year-old daughter and then taken her life, but she has also abandoned another child that she left living um, with her mother. And so, and this is this is based on my encounter with uh, the poet Ratika Rizrani and uh, her son Jihan Kumiyaka when I was at a poetry retreat. I'm a Kavi Khanum poet and these are, you know, an organization for uh, poets of the African diaspora. So this is, this is like my poetry home. And um, during this retreat, uh, Ratika and Jihan was there and got to experience just their energy, especially this like young life energy. It was about like three weeks later, the Washington Post posted this murder-suicide. Uh, Ratika took her two-year-old son's life and then her own. And so I, and I know many other Kaveh Kanem poets were just heartbroken and in a state of shock about this. And I had no language for it. I, the question of why kept on coming up, but it wasn't generative. It, it almost left me feeling like I was spinning and I was sort of stuck in a binary. Like I felt as if my, my living didn't prepare me for the complexity of this kind of death. At the time I was studying Irish female poets and so I loved the ways in which Particularly, you know, I love this one particular poet, Maid McGuckian, the way in which he used uh, Irish mythology as a way to make sense of the unexplainable, the unsayable, the thing that has been colonized mm. by a outside entity, right? And as a result, something gets lost in that violence. And so I was like, I can use Caribbean mythology to like make sense of this why to actually open up the why break it down and let the letter y be there and it sort of function as a road you know to this singular path or this singular path to these possible options so the inspiration for the the workshop uh, the fugitive creative the practice of residing in your own humus soil was inspired by the fact that because I was writing a libretto, an opera, I felt really doubtful. I felt like, you know, I was an imposter, that, you know, people were sort of asking me, what language is the opera gonna be in? And all of these opera-related questions. And I was just like, I was called to to write this this opera through the content of of the of 
of the subject matter that I was um, dealing with and the subject matter being uh, a mother who kills her, her two-year-old child and then takes her life. And at first I wrote poems and I didn't feel like those poems were keening. They couldn't do that kind of body work um, that I needed the poems to do. And so voice in my head is like opera, move towards opera. Mm. Use the lyric as your sort of like transportation into this new form. And I had to kind of really talk myself into a place of feeling confident. And what I realized for myself was I wasn't an imposter, right? Instead, what I was, was I was getting off of my own self-created plantation, my own imposed sense of here is your spot and you must work in it, as well as whatever external um, expectations are placed on me when I say I'm a poet, I am this or, or whatever. So the idea of a fugitive creative is like breaking out of your own blocks, your own containments, and stepping into new territory. But before you can do that, you really need to ground yourself in your own, I say your own generative darkness, your own nutrient soil, so that your bold ideas are deeply rooted like in your gut and in, in your heart and in your own voice. And then to think about what are the tools you have already that can grow this new thing wherever mm -hmm. it is that you're planning on taking it. So that is what we were inviting participants into, the opportunity to root in their own generative darkness to reflect on some of the things that hold them back from their most daring and boldest ideas. And then also to kind of use, you know, use their tools. And, and I'm thinking more specifically like our names. So I feel like our names have so much energy, so much information, so much medicine in it. So we did one activity where I like to call the like to call it like name as oracle seeds and so you're simply just like shuffling around all of the letters and finding an element finding an animal finding a shape finding your superpower but what that exercise does is that it reminds you your own particular music your own name is is the call is the is the thing that's moving you it's calling you to things and the information is embedded there that's going to help you get off whatever thing that you thought you must stay in in order to like grow and and be yourself but it's about growing a new self and like evolving your work past what you thought it, it could be or what you went to school for even and so the reading of the libretto is going to be just that a reading of the libretto with a local artists and performers and we're going to put body and voice behind those words and and see see what grows in that theater see what also will help me either flesh out the characters more or the narrative but it's always like very helpful to like hear it you know and not just in my head <laughs>
And really just really honoring our bodies, full bodies. You know, we've all been like schooled to death and we're just hanging out in our heads all of the time. And it's just like, what are the ways we can get in our bodies so we can listen? And in that listening, there's the lesson, there's the inspiration, there's that image that's gonna pop up. And to trust the more you practice being present, those sensations and those those pulsings as as a source of information. And it could be put up against all of that knowledge, books or you know, these European therapists that therapists, these therapists that we have to always contend with. And it's just like our implicit knowledge needs to step it up so that we can push up against all of this this stuff that hasn't been working, these thoughts, these ideas that have deadened us. And when they are in conversation, our knowledge is in conversation with those things. It enlivens everything. And that's like one of the interesting things about coming to opera from poetry, not as a composer, not any of those things, what I get to do is tap into something that is so much more bigger than the gatekeepers or than the genre itself. What I get to tap into is the consciousness of every other poet along the way that was like, I need to write an opera. And whatever that impulse or that that energy was, I'm now tapped into. So when my when I have these questions, I can go search for it. Now I'm in conversation with so-and-so and and Mm. -and so-and-so because so-and-so also thought that this, you know, the libretto can be a literary form. And I'm like, oh, but I arrived there with my full body, not with my head being told this is what it is. There's like more curiosity. And that's the thing we need is that curiosity to break the colonization down, colonization down. Mm -hmm. And like indigenize back into our bodies Mm -hmm. is an act of re-indigenizing and becoming human again. And come like half of a body or amputated or whatever it is, I'm going to like bring it all. Well, I just want to say thank you, Mimi, because, you know, since moving here in 2018 there, I've just been isolated and I, you know, I came here to work and that's what I've been doing and pretty much, you know, have felt like career, career, focus on career. And I've had a plan and a structure and a deadline and everything has been like tightly organized. And one of the beautiful pleasures in working with you is the way in which you flow and watching you trust your flow helps me trust my flow and you know you and marco hosting freestyle fridays is just an example of that unleashing of the flow and to just be in this creative community with other people listening to the beats and the melody with the microphones in our hands and just allowing the words to come out or the animal sounds to just take over and that be enough and the enough is abundant and um it's been so great and so fulfilling and such food for me 
to just break out of the plan and um i just want to say thank you because it's been so much of having to step out of my own boxes and my my own sense of like i have to do it this way because it's been protective for me and it also has gotten me this far but it also has made me dull and has also just taken away some of my light and i just feel like i've gotten my light back again and it is a beautiful indigo light and i'm also really thankful for indigo for creating this space for us to to be vulnerable with each other and to find a new flow for where we got to go. That was Arissa White and Signature Mimi, part one on Voices and Vision. We hope you enjoy listening to this conversation between the artists we have worked with here at Indigo Arts Alliance. Thank you for listening and please stay tuned for next month's talk. You have been listening to Indigo Arts Alliance presents Voices and Visions, the podcast. Produced by Flo Edwards on WMPG 90.9 FM.